0: You're listening to Potluck, the podcast that stirs up a unique flavour of people, culture and brands in Asia. Hosted, as always, by Scott and Drago. Hello and welcome back to Potluck. This is the third time we're getting together to stir the pot. And our third interview of season two. Did you know that every second TV series on Netflix gets cancelled after one season? Well, I'm not sure if this is true, but we're still here. You're listening to me, Drago, and alongside me is the ever-simmering, occasionally boiling over and always smoking hot co-host, Scott. Scott, how are you?
1: Yeah, I'm bubbling along nicely, Drago. Um, Today we're very pleased to start the pot with Charlotte Wilkinson, founder of Hello Sister and Side by Side. Like us, Charlotte forged her career working in the research and brand strategy space, including roles of added value in China and laterally heading up Clear's APAC operation first in Hong Kong and then in Singapore. But in 2017, Charlotte first of all founds Hello Sister, a pioneering insights consultancy helping brands engage women through more effective marketing strategies. Next, she co founds Side by Side, partnering with organisations to level up on diversity and inclusion. And if that's not quite enough to keep Charlotte busy, uh, she recently set up Face Forward, a series of digital events enabling women to emerge from lockdown with a positive mindset, especially around their careers. Charlotte, welcome. How are you today? good,
0: thank you very much. You. Charlotte, hi, and thanks so much for joining us. Now. We like to whet the appetite first. Uh, we like our guests to think about their career, uh, their personal or professional path through an alternative lens as something of a recipe, a recipe for where uh, they've now got to, if you like. Yeah? So uh, if we drill down to three main ingredients uh, that uh, make up you, that you are now, what would those three ingredients be?
2: Well, one of the things is I quite like to challenge the status quo. So I thought I would turn this question on its head. And I think my first ingredient is curiosity. Mm-hmm. So um, I think ever since I was a tiny little girl, apparently I was always asking why. But why, why is this the case? Why do we have to do that? Why is, why is this work like this? Um, and I think obviously coming from an insight world, especially, that's kind of the key ingredient to to driving to real insights and therefore getting to something that's close to um, something that's relevant to, to consumers. Uh, I think secondly, um, it would be empathy as well. Um, you know, I've always worked in international research, so you know, yes, I'm British, I was raised in the UK, but I've worked actually in 80 countries, probably traveled to about 60 or 70 of them for work. And I think without empathy, you can never really get out of your own mindset. And if you can't get out of your own mindset, you can never really sort of start to connect the dots and really start to um, create something that's going to be relevant to the audience you're talking to. And then I guess my third one would really be challenging. Again, said I like to challenge the status quo. Um, certainly, for example, when I moved to China, you know, there's a lot of mindsets around the way that China works, um, the way that insight works, the best way to kind of get the most out of respondents and consumers. And I think by challenging things all the time, you're always going to be improving on sort of previous, previous sets. Um, so, yeah, that's, they're kind of my three modus operandi, I guess. <laughs>
0: Brilliant. So curiosity, empathy, and challenging. Fantastic. Um, before we move on to the next item on the menu, uh, a quick word about the menu itself. Yeah? Uh, our regular listener may have noticed that uh, we like to split the interview into smaller palatable chunks for your listening pleasure. So we have part one, lifting the lid on Asia, part two, hacking humans, and part three, brand burns, all launched in separate bits. But that's not all, we also have the full feast where you can dig into the smorgasbord of all three parts into one delectable dish. And moving on, Scott.
1: So that brings us to the first segment, Lifting the lid on Asia, where we get under the skin of what's happening in the region right now through the eyes of practitioners that live and breathe it. Now, in a month marked by International Women's Day and Women's History Month, Charlotte's perfectly placed to shed some light on this from an Asian angle. So, Charlotte, you've been in the region for over 15 years. Can you tell us more about what pulled you into the space that you're now in?
2: Um, I think I was really seeing the the imbalance... Um, Ju- not just from a sort of a gender equality space, but I was seeing that a lot of sort of women's marketing and advertising, or wi- businesses were targeting women and trying to market to women, to be honest, it was very pink. It was very floral. Um, Hello Kitty featured far too many times, and I know there's an audience that really like Hello Kitty, but it just felt like there was a lot of distance between marketeers and you know the real end users, either real consumers. Um, You know, I've worked on a lot of big brands from a lot of big companies and even even when you're sort of delivering really really high quality insight, or I perceive as really high quality insight, it doesn't always end up being the right sort of communications that sort of you see in market. Uh, And I recognize there was no one really doing it, to be honest, so... I felt that I could challenge it and um, help businesses and brands get a bit closer to women and and not just get closer to women, but sort of take them on the journey through to delivering the right executions as well. I feel like a lot of it is you're delivering insight, but actually it's that journey to get to launch point or in Mm. market that there's something lost in, literally lost in translation. Um, So being able to handhold from sort of starting to speak to consumers to delivering something right at the end is is where I sort of saw the opportunity
1: okay fantastic and we'll drill down into maybe some market level examples in a moment mm. but you know, when it comes to brands' understanding of you know Asian women, often we have a lot of global brands, maybe Western-based brands, uh, not not solely, but obviously there are regional brands, local brands too. But what would you see are some of the main feelings you see from from brands in this space? You use phrase like "pinkify," for example. But you know, going beyond that, what what do you see as some of the, the key issues?
2: I think generally, there's an assumption that all women operate the same way. You know, uh, li- literally, there's there's many different tribes of women. Um, Even women of exactly the same demographics um, can have very, very different attitudes and opinions. And I think, you know, we we often look at segments and things like that, and that gets you to a certain space. But I feel that women are, we're much more multi-mindset than our male counterparts sometimes are. You know, you can be um, a wife um, and a mother at the same time and have completely different priorities for different sort of, not even occasion sets, but um, different kind of moments in your life. And I think a lot of businesses don't really sort of get that granularity that women really are multitasking, multi-mindsetting at the same time. Um, so what you end up is kind of fairly bland uh, women like this. You know, all women put their kids at the center of all their thinking. Of course, I'm not saying that kids aren't important to, to women, but mm. it isn't relevant to every single situation. I think a lot of brands sort of forget that. And therefore they're not really connecting with the real issues and challenges that women are sort of contending with. Equally, obviously, the region is huge. There's very big differences across the region in terms of, um, you know, women's not just emancipation, but kind of women's development. So, some of the, some of the um, you know, more developing markets, actually, women feel way more empowered than they did 10 years ago. Whereas somewhere like Singapore, which is much more developed, there hasn't been as much progress in sort of recent times. Okay. So, therefore, it doesn't mean to say that Singapore is um, more equal than Indonesia, for example. But women in Indonesia are feeling far more independent. They're feeling more financially independent. They've got a greater sort of burst of, um, of intent of things they want to do. Therefore, their consumer habits are very, very different. Okay. And we've got, yeah, we've just got huge diversity. You know, China's very different to Philippines. Malaysia's different to Indi- India you can't sort of tar, um, you can't tar all of Asia as one collective women's group.
0: It was very interesting uh, when, when we had a brief chat um, early on how um, you mentioned something um, um, that I'd like to ask you to throw some light on, um, where um, you said that there is a gap between the metrics, uh, what the data shows, and the reality of the market. Um, can you shed some light on that a little bit? You, I, th- I think you were... Um, You you were talking about interpreting the data and showing how there are differences in different markets. Can you give us a few examples and help us understand this?
2: Yeah, if you're really looking at gender equality, there's a a number of metrics that you can kind of look at. And generally, if you look at sort of the rankings, the global rankings of which countries are gender equal or closer to gender equal than others, um, it's basically an average, as as we we all know from sort of stats and um, analysis. But when you start to break down what the individual factors are, they often mean very different things. So, for example, engagement in the workforce um, is one key indicator. So, China's got a huge number of women at work. It's probably got the highest proportion of women working women in Asia, but there's very few women in leadership. So, if you don't have women in leadership, that means the legislation isn't necessarily favorable towards women. You know, consideration for, um, you know, social security for women isn't necessarily there. Mm. Whereas other markets, for example, Malaysia has got quite high female um, business ownership. But... It's often much more family-led businesses, so they're not necessarily the big sort of corporate, very um, sort of shape-shifting, influential businesses. So, you can't just look at one factor and say, that's right. Singapore, by contrast, um, comes up, number one, for social security for women. Mm. You know, most women in Singapore are not going to be attacked on the street, whereas in many other markets, um, it's far less um, secure for women. But Singapore, um, you know, is much lower down on other elements in terms of legal rights of women, maternity rights and things like that. So it's sort of, there's no one factor that says this country is equal. So even in countries that are very, very developed and, it, you, know, um, you know, women generally in Singapore, for example, are very safe and you are reasonably protected. But Um, It doesn't mean that you're paid as much. doesn't Mm -hmm. mean there's enough women in senior management. And if you don't have those women in senior management, you're not going to have decisions made for women that are really putting women at the forefront of decision making.
0: I guess this peaks back to um, what you mentioned earlier about the multimodality existence of women, where we're looking at these different uh, realms, the uh, social, the business, the family. Uh, and how that plays out differently in different markets. Can you um, share a case study with us perhaps that um, uh, can help us understand how you can bring this understanding to life uh, on a particular case, whether it's something strategic or tactical, something that you did recently that you think would um, help us understand the approach there?
2: Yeah, I mean, I probably can't tell you the, the, well, I can't tell you the client exactly, sure. but I've been working with um, a big finance company um, brand, <laughs> business, yeah. um, and really understanding, yeah, what banking means to women and looking at markets like, say, Indonesia and Malaysia especially. Um, these women aren't necessarily actually financially independent, but feeling financially independent means that the, the decisions they make and the, and the choices that they um, they're pursuing and researching are very very different because it's you know their, their attitude and mindset is completely different versus looking at kind of the statics. Uh, this woman is well educated. This woman is owns this many assets, etc. Um, so, for example, looking again, looking at Singapore you would look at literally what is the dollar dollar volume of her accounts? How educated is she? That determines kind of how I would predict she makes her decisions. Whereas looking in other markets, um, you can look at that and find very few women at that level. Hmm. Um, But understanding kind of what are the motivations. For example, in Indonesia, 50% of all women would like to run their own business. Doesn't mean that every business is going to be a unicorn, but that attitude that I can do this and I can set up my own little sort of mom and pop store. Mm-hmm. I can, you know, sell clothes on Facebook, for example, um, really determines those sort of differences. So I think it's it's understanding about gender dynamics in regions, mm-hmm. but also, you know, how you actually research it. It's got to be both qualitative and um, quantitative and really looking at all sorts of different um, tranches of data, not just kind of one survey meets all.
0: So speaking about peeling layers here, um, can we talk a little bit about International Women's Day? Uh, it's, it's something that took place not long ago. Um, so um, I understand that the theme this year was uh, "Choose to Challenge." Uh, can you tell us a little bit how um, um, how International Women's Day has evolved in Asia, in particular, but also perhaps you know how that's been uh, influenced by? Um, its evolution on a global stage, say, um, perhaps since, um, you know, Sheryl Sandberg's lean in and the criticism um, ar- around that. How has that evolved in recent years?
2: I mean, it's, it's a very dynamic space at the moment, I think. Um, to, to go back to history, actually, International Women's Day started in the early 1900s. Um, and it really was, you know, the First World War was a real turning point for women. Women basically had to support countries when, when men were at war. Um, And you often see that when countries go through a great crisis like that, women sort of kind of have, I mean, in China, they say women hold up the sky. Um, When women sort of have to take on the role of many men, it does propel women forward. Um, I think in Asia, to be honest, the first time I heard about International Women's Day was working in Beijing when I was suddenly given a (laughs) a hagen das voucher because it was International (laughs) Women's Day and uh, a small bouquet of flowers. I don't think it had ever even been recognized in the UK at that time. Or really, it wasn't sort of generally acknowledged as, um, as a holiday or a, or a day. Um, so, obviously, I was delighted to get a hagen ass voucher and um, <laughs> a nice big of flowers. But, um, <laughs> you know, it, the reality is that was recognition for women. It wasn't necessarily propelling women forward. Mm. Um, I think what we've seen far more in recent years is, um, you know, more calls for action. You can't just have a day that's symbolic of representing and recognising women without actually real calls for action. What I see here is a lot of brands getting in on um, International Women's Day, lots of International Women's Day promotions, um, the exact Pinkify campaigns that I hate, that um, just doing something for women more for marketing's sake than actually putting your money behind it. Um, So I, I did start calling out brands this year that allegedly support women yet you're not paying your women equally you don't have any females on your board for example and really you can't, you can't be talking about how you support women if you're not supporting your workforce um, so it kind of, it's in a, it's a difficult space at the moment and I think worldwide um, equality is obviously a big discussion, you know, there's lots of different race issues going on at the minute. There's female security issues going on at the minute that is kind of taking place in a lot of the world. A lot of that on ground is actually less relevant in Asia Mm. at the moment. Uh, You know, the black lives matter movement isn't specifically relevant to Asia, but people recognize the issues and um, people here who are more woke and I don't like that word, but it's the best description. Um, are realizing actually there is great inequality in this region as well, and making people and people are becoming much more mindful about which brands and businesses they want to associate with. Um, so it's not it's not that the issues specifically are relevant here, but it's more that that sort of whole genre of awareness is becoming much more relevant here. And the right people or some people are really sort of taking yeah taking action against it. So I'm hoping that women's equality will will move the same way.
0: Are there any markets that you feel are particularly woke, sorry to be using the word again, but uh, do you see any um, market differences, any cultural differences across the region in that regard?
2: Um, Yes, but not necessarily in terms of gender. All right. Um, I've done quite a bit of work in sustainability and actually women are more likely to be sustainable than, than men you know, we're kind of more about protecting our family in the future generations than men would be. Um, So markets like Indonesia and China, for example, actually, from an intentions perspective, far more sustainable-minded because they experience more issues. Mm. So the the air quality in China makes people much more conscious of what they're buying. Obviously, in markets like Indonesia, things like um, palm oil, um, people, if, if you directly experience the issues that... You're interested in. You're more likely to change your behaviour mm. than than those who are, you know, sitting in London talking about palm oil. It's kind of um that proximity to issues makes a real difference here.
1: Do, do you get a sense that you, you hinted at it earlier, Charlotte? This kind of sense of like in Singapore or developed market, maybe like maybe Japan might be another where there has been progress, but you were hinting at almost like plateauing to some extent, like people getting sort of comfortable with the status quo. And not pushing beyond it?
2: Absolutely that. I was really disappointed. So a project I did last year was talking about um, the different, as- different facets of gender equality. And the attitudes in Singapore towards women were really poor. I was so disappointed <laughs> that, you know, people felt that women were paid correctly, that there was a reason why women didn't need to advance in the workplace. In Singapore, a lot of it comes down to national service. That there's a belief that because men do two years of national service, men automatically for the next forty-five years should be paid more more than women. And there's those sort of things there. Japan is a whole other kettle of fish, and I don't think it, I don't think it even has changed. Um, you know, women traditionally there don't work once they're married. Um, you know, being dictated to what they wear in the workplace i think it's there's some i know you know japan far better than me but you know i think there was there was some um, company recently that was dictating women couldn't wear um, glasses to the workplace because it wasn't deemed presentable and
0: feminine enough or, or wearing heels yeah the minister of female empowerment says oh i think women should wear heels it's so much nicer yeah. So yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. And even
2: last week, I was uh, I was a little bit perturbed that um, I I I was on a, a conference on International Women's Day with Madam President for Singapore, and she was talking. She was openly saying that Singapore has to do more to get women into senior management, has to do more to drive equality in the region. Yet at the same time, another MP was saying that he didn't see that there would be a potential um, female PM in the short term because. Um, there's a lot of family pressures at home and <laughs> um, being, a pri- being a prime minister or being an MP means that you have to spend a lot of time in parliament. So my take on that was that that means women can't be because we have to look after families. Yeah, I'm pretty sure most of the MPs in in Singapore are actually family men as well as family women. So even that sort of that left hand, right hand that is an intent, but the practicality realities aren't necessarily the same.
1: Mm. Because I I know that um, I think one of the initiatives, I think uh, BBH, ran a survey, I think, with the uh, Gender Equality Group Aware and I think the stats, which I think Straits Times published, talked about um, you know, less than 20% of the of the female sample uh, could name a, a Singaporean female role model. And there was quite a lot of international ones, but, um, you know, I think Michelle Obama, uh, Gal Gadot, uh, Blackpink singer Lisa, uh, and I think, you know, but locally, so I think they created these stickers to try and create some... I'm not sure of the effectiveness of the tactic, but I think um, interesting that they were kind of highlighting that maybe not enough role models in the local scene.
2: There, there, yeah, there aren't enough role models generally, I think. Hmm. And, you know... You, you can have celebrities and you can have, um, you know, wives of presidents. I'm not, I'm not denigating their, their, their influence, but you also need them in the workplace and you need, you need them sort of around you as well to see actually how, how they do that. Mm. Um, interesting um, people who are um, children of single mothers often have completely different attitudes towards Mm. gender equality. And I think often if you see those women who had to strive and they've had to support households by themselves for various reasons, um, it does really change the the perspective and opinions of both male and female children.
1: Okay, And I guess just to round off the, the IWD... I uh, have a couple of questions on that so one the theme itself so choose to challenge and Drago and I were just kind of wondering how well these themes serve as like a call to action like do, does the average uh, you know, women or men, I guess, understand what the kind of the theme is meant to represent in a given year and what they can do. And I know there's been a lot of uh, awareness raising in general around things like BLM and other movements around how to be a, a sort of good activist, if you like, what activism can look like in day-to-day. So that was one thing about the theme, if you had any views on the theme. And just secondly, if there was any, any winners and losers uh, that you could sort of identify from what you saw this year in any brands that did well or not so well
2: yeah I think um I think the truth to challenge is interesting because it's kind of it's getting to the area where it is actually it is about challenging the status quo, which is very say very much my sort of my heartland mm. as well um but I didn't actually see much action out of that. I didn't really see very many true call to calls to challenge. I did see a lot of selfies of people you know hol- holding their fingers up, which mm. I didn't actually do myself, and maybe I should have done because it still builds awareness but um I think yeah. A slogan or a strap line helps and it has moved on a little bit, but it's still, it's still really not enough, I think. Mm. Um, in terms of brands who did well, brands who didn't, um, my, I've mentioned this brand quite a few times on my social media, um, but Red Mart consistently, every year for International Women's Day and for Mother's Day, have a campaign around buy the lady in your life some detergent. And it's like, I don't know how many women they've ever spoken to who love doing their laundry on International Women's Day or on Mothering Sunday. It's sort of, you know, and I've called them out on it and I've actually even tried to speak to them and they, they continue to do this. Um, in terms of the brands that done really well, it's interesting because there was a lot of women's gender um, gender-focused advertising that was launched the same week. It wasn't specifically International Women's Day, mm. but it was... It was time to release at a certain time frame, um, and there's a few brands and they're mostly Challenger brands. They're mostly very, very small women's focused brands who've kind of got it right,'ve really cracked the right insights. Mm. Um, so yeah they're the kind of ones I see I don't see it so much from the really big the big boys so to speak
1: yeah because I read something yesterday where they're talking about and there's a book been launched called Brand Splaining. I'm not sure if you're by, by Jane Cunningham and Phil Roberts and they were almost saying that like on the one hand you've got these big manifesto style kind of ads films which are are often really affect, you know, from your Nikes or Underarmers or who are quite a lot in the um, in, in, in sort of women's sanitary care, etc., as well. But then, on the other end, it's almost like, of course, there's there's a lot more regulation to call out. Um, you know, uh, you know, ads essentially which break kind of gender inequalities, sort of rules, but it's almost that mid ground. There's a whole host of advertising in the middle which is still perpetuating the stereotypes, and that's perhaps where things need to be fixed more than you know the the big gestures.
2: Yeah, and to be honest, I posted about some Nike. I always Nike always do a great job at really connecting the right insights to women. What really motivates women? That women are different with different types of athletes to men. And um, they did a maternity. They've got a new maternity loan sure. that's launched. So they they just done a great campaign um, which features real women at home it was actually filmed remotely Mm. um, most of them still in lockdown obviously Um, real women real female athletes as well so it had everybody from a woman sitting on a a Swiss ball who's pregnant to a woman running a marathon you know professional marathon runner who happens to be pregnant Um, so it really covered yeah diverse races it covered sort of diverse female types you know different types of mothers Mm diverse sports even Um, and I know that Nike actually have an equal pay scale globally, that's the sort of thing I check out straight away, if you're you're promoting this, how do you really pay your women Hmm. they've also got quite a lot of women in senior management I think for clothing manufacturers, got some of the highest levels, but then somebody I know pointed out that there was a big um, issue a couple of years ago over their female athletes not being supported when they're on maternity leave.
0: Mm, yeah. So
2: if you're sponsored...
0: Al- Alison. Uh, yeah. yeah.
2: So to be honest, they've done a great job, but there's always that little flaw. And I don't think any brand is perfect. Um, and yes, they will get called out for things, but it's, it's still progress. Um, but there's an awful lot of those little flaws that you kind of have to get over at the same time.
1: Okay, so let's put a lid on, on the first part of our discussion. Um, we'll move on quickly to part two, Hacking Humans, uh, where we'll hear from Charlotte on her approach towards human and cultural understanding, particularly through a female lens.